What is going on? Welcome to the Land Podcast. This week, we have a great episode with Ryan Kirby. And before we get into that episode, though, I just want to say this. Exodus is having their Black Friday savings. And that means that we have some incredible big savings, the biggest of the year. And it's going to be starting on Thanksgiving. We're going to send out all the details on Wednesday on when it'll go live and how many uh, products will be available. So you're going to want to make sure you go over to our website, exodusoutdoorgear.com, and sign up for our email newsletter. And in terms of other news, Exodus has some pretty big and exciting announcements coming early next year. And then I also have some exciting announcements here coming very soon as well. So I'm excited to share those. But before we get into this episode, Ryan Kirby is a <clears throat> excuse me, Ryan Kirby is a, a gentleman that I guarantee you have seen his work um, in some form or fashion. And he has bought three different tracks in Illinois and walks through that entire process, some things that he has learned to work really well. And just really good conversation for someone that's looking to learn more about buying land and selling land and how to do it in a somewhat calculated fashion. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Before we get into it, in case you're brand new here, I'll tell you this, the goal of this podcast is to help 100 people buy their first piece of land. And there's a couple ways to be part of that list. Number one, if you're in the state of Illinois and I can help you, feel free to reach out. I'm licensed here in the state and I've helped a lot of listeners here through this podcast buy their first farm and it's been so rewarding. And uh, some of those guys have killed their you know bucks off their first uh, farm and I think that is so awesome and that's why we started the land podcast. Second way is if you want to get connected with someone that I would personally do business with, I will be happy to make an intro. If I don't know anyone in that area, I'm just going to say I can't help you. I wish I could, but I'm not sending you just to someone that I'm going to Google because you can do the same exact thing. Number three, if you just simply learn something from this, helps you take action with confidence, let me know. I want to add you to the list and try to think here. I think that's it for now. Hope you guys enjoy this episode. Here we go. Ryan, thanks for hopping on here for the Land Podcast. How's it going? Hey, man, it's going great. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. Yeah, so we we got connected here not too long ago, and uh, I've seen a lot of your prints at NWTF banquets, everywhere else, and uh, your artwork is a lot... It's like, oh yeah, I bet, I bet Ryan did that. And you look down and you see your, your signature. So um, before we get too far into this, take the opportunity to introduce yourself. Well, I appreciate it. I'm uh, Ryan Kirby. I am a wildlife artist and designer, and I've worked for myself for about 10 years. And for the first seven years of my career, I worked for the National Wild Turkey Federation. Okay. So I got my start in the conservation outdoor industry um, and then just branched off from there. Yeah. And so um, you currently reside where? In Boone, North Carolina. In so, the mountains of Boone. so how did a whitetail um, guy end up there? I don't know, dude. I don't know. <laughs> uh, no, well, I, it, well, the worst was going to Edgefield, South Carolina, where the Turkey Federation is, because it's just pine trees and peach orchards, you know. Yeah. And um, and then my wife and I met later on. Uh, she went to App State. We had a bunch of mutual friends in Boone, and we were either going to settle down and raise kids in Nashville or Boone. That was, those were our two areas. And because we had a lot of friends here. You know, she got a job at App State. We came to Boone. Um, but I told her, I was like, as long as I'm in Illinois every November, I don't care where we live. You know, I can I can go back. I mean, and I think that's, that's pretty fair. And employees and business and life stuff. And I had to miss a couple of seasons. So it, it, it's easy to say that. And then you have like adult responsibilities and then you 
have to play it by ear. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's uh, that's definitely something just being self-employed. It's I think people sometimes have this illusion that like, oh, I'm self-employed. I can do what I want. And sometimes yeah. I truly think it's more restrictive being self-employed than having, you know, etched out vacation days. Don't call me. I'm dead to everyone. And <laughs> when you're self-employed, that's not an option. Yep. I have done a lot of business and, and kept a lot of projects going from my tree stand. And on one hand, you're like, this is pathetic. I can't even go sit in a tree without work. But then on the other hand, it's like, this is kind of awesome because I can do work from a tree stand. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. So if if you want to be successful self-employed, it's it's way more work than it is um, anything else. If you want to go bankrupt self-employed, yeah, you can do what you want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a reason why a lot of small businesses fail, and that's probably part of it among many other reasons it's really hard but um what's it been like being so you worked for nwtf on a corporate level at their office yep. and then you transitioned to full-time self-employed that had to be a scary transition or or was it like you built up your art business to where it was a lot more seamless well there was there was a transition there so my degree was in graphic design and multimedia and i graduated in 2004 so multimedia then would have been like web design you know mm -hmm. that's back when flash and dreamweaver and all those were oh yeah um so i started out as a designer and illustrator and then i just kind of painted nights and weekends and at the turkey federation i got the opportunity to meet a lot of professional wildlife artists and that really opened my eyes to potentially fine art as a career and what happened was the turkey federation was kind of like a revolving door of talent so we'd all come in there when we're young we didn't have any ties none of us were making a lot of money, you know, it's nonprofit, but we had a mm -hmm. great place to work and we had a great vibe there. And then what happened is a lot of people would move on and they'd go work for an agency or marketing department and they'd kick freelance work back to me. So there was a period of time there where I was like working my full-time job. And then I would like go to the gym to clear my head. And then I do freelance work at home till 11 o'clock. And mm -hmm. I did that for a while and, you know, I'm, I'm, you've talked about Dave Ramsey a little bit. I was definitely a Dave Ramsey guy then early on and mm -hmm. paying out debt, saving money, all that kind of stuff. And it got to a point where I was, I was having more fun and making more money doing freelance, honestly, than I was my full-time job. And I had, I remember I had no debt. I had $60,000 worth of work under contract. And then Kim and I were dating and doing long distance, no kids, no nothing. And I was like, I'm just going to go and I'll figure it out. That'll buy me a year and I'll figure it out after that. And um, there were a couple lean months, you know, <laughs> there was a couple where, you know, I had like $5,000 in expenses going out and none coming in, yeah. which, you know, our, our numbers are bigger now, but then that was a big deal. Darn you right. know, and just some, uh, you know, some fortunate breaks and the right connections and right people and a freaking ton of hard work and eventually it figured out how to get the plane off the ground <laughs> that is really cool one of my shortlist jobs that i was potentially going to consider strongly going out of college was to be like a regional director for the nwtf i i got it i got a i got a scholarship from the nwtf in high school and then yeah. uh was a, a member of like the college chapter and yeah. i was like man that, i mean that'd be pretty cool i mean it seems like you know pretty awesome job and like to your point now looking back when i was a junior senior and i was like man you know those guys are you know 26 27 like to exactly what you're referring to but um yeah. it's cool that it's been kind of an incubator of talent to where those folks go on and do uh things beyond that too 
Yep. Yeah, it was a it was a springboard and it was a really great place to to get your feet wet in the industry too. Um Rob Keck was there. He at the time he hired me and Tammy Sapp was there and, and we learned a lot working from them. But when you're young, you know, I would go to banquets and stuff, and the only person you ever know is the, your RD, and you think that is the Turkey Federation, you know. So I remember in my interview when I got started, they're like, well, what do you think you want to do for, you know, for a career? I was like, well, I think I'll work here for a little bit and then try to go be an RD and work in the field. And they laughed at me, you know, because I didn't know how big headquarters was. We had six graphic designers on wow. staff full time. Wow. Um, we were producing four magazines and all that kind of stuff. And I, I didn't know anything other than being a regional director. So mm-hmm. I'm glad That's- I didn't, man, those guys hustle and they're on the road constantly. Yeah. Well, this is actually kind of a fun story. I had a, a one of the previous guests uh, bought a chunk in Kansas. I had no idea. Like this was right when the podcast started. And then the regional director for the first college I was at messaged me like, Hey, that's my brother-in-law. And I was like, Oh, no way. And he's like, I'm glad to see you're doing well. It's like so freaking random. Um, but I thought that was pretty cool. But so now you, so I guess going back to, you ended up in, in North Carolina, you, you were in South mm-hmm. Carolina, but your roots are originally where? Um, Hancock County in Hamilton, Illinois. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of people say I've picked up a Southern accent so I've, since I've been down here, you know, yeah. but I mean, I've been, uh, man, I'm starting to get at the age where I've lived the majority of my life down here. But uh, yeah, I grew up in on a, a small farm in Hancock County. We had 150 acres and my dad was a farmer and drove a concrete truck and, and stuff in the summer and winters. And my mom was the postmaster in our little town. And, uh, you know, I just lucked out that I happened to be born on a 150 acre farm in uh-huh. the Midwest, which I feel like is a great way to grow up. Um, you know, played football and basketball in high school and did the whole Midwest thing. Um, I was way more excited about deer hunting than I ever was any form of art, you know, <laughs> school just don't know. And, um, you know, our, our farm was not great deer hunting. My dad's a farmer first and hunter second. So, He's absolutely, you know, pushing out hedgerows and cleaning up waterways and stuff. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, yeah, we've had three farm ponds on the place and fished and played little league and did the whole That's thing. Cool. So Hancock County, I mean, you've probably got to see the explosion of that part of Illinois firsthand right. growing up. I mean, yep. w- what was that like? Well, when I was growing up, you know, I was born in 82 and when I was growing up, um you didn't bow hunt like my my dad and i got our first bows together when i was like 12 mm-hmm. and literally learned to shoot a bow together and wow. he he kind of got into it never did and i got obsessed right away and so but but the majority of of my hunting growing up was was shotgun season mm-hmm. and we did man drives we did you know you you'd go you basically go sit on a white five gallon bucket fence row in the morning yep. and then you'd meet up and we'd scratch out a plan to do a bunch of man drives on a dusty tailgate. And then you'd do that for four or five hours during the middle of the day. And then you'd go set again. And between either you or your family or the guys in your group, you could hunt anywhere. Like yeah. we hunted our whole township. We drove the whole thing all over everywhere. And, and now, man, it's just, it's, it's completely different. You know, everything is, 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 you've got either permission or you own it or you lease it. 
the leases have gained popularity, but I went up there this year and, you know, there are more non-resident license plates you see parked along the side of the road than I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. And I don't really know why it is. Maybe it's just starting to push north from Pike and Adams and Brown. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Hancock has become, a, there's a lot of outfitting up there now. Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, it's going to happen regardless. And I think uh, with how the Illinois tag is structured too, I mean, it's, it's basically, it's not an over the counter, but it's basically an over the counter for all intents yeah. and purposes. And, yeah. you know, I, I think people look at the map and like, well, if I was the promised land and Pike County, like the golden triangle used to be the best, you know, where else can we go? And then they've landed in places like where you were, we know where you're at. Yep. And I, I didn't know this, but they, they when I for, when I got up there this year it was the end of October, and they had sold out of first season gun tags already, which I didn't think they did that, but I think they I think they sell out pretty quick now. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, my wife missed the first lottery for the county where we're at, and yeah. I was like, "You need to get on that." And ah, oh, no, yeah. and it's like it was gone. <laughs> so, yeah. and, it, and that depends on quotas per county, but. Um, what about so as you were growing up, was it was there a transition where it's like you could, well, no, you can't hunt that anymore? No. Um, could, I, I assume that area probably changed, hand, like land has changed hands a lot in the last 10 years, if I just had a guess. Yep. Well, the, um, the outfitting started when I was in college, like end of two, like the very early 2000s is when I remember the outfitting started. And, you know, those farmers, once they realize they can make some money leasing land to an outfitter, a lot of that gets scooped up. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, and it, it also, it, we started to see that transition where, you know, Whitetail Properties is in Pike County. And, and you know, those farmers, they call that crap ground. They didn't want any, they didn't want anything to do with the timber. It was yeah. worthless to them. And it was, it was sort of about the time I was in college is when that you started seeing those guys get money for leasing that timber and the recreational value started to go up and that's when it shifted. And I think it sucks for me. Cause I was like, man, if I'd had money then, or, hindsight. or thought about like you had a guy on your show and I can't remember his name, but he's like, I wanted to buy land when I was in high school. And mm -hmm. he just started working towards it, man. And it's like, dang it. I didn't figure that out till I was like 30. But <laughs> Which like, is still man, a lot, a lot earlier than most people though. I know, but man, it, <laughs> you just think about all the stuff you could have bought or had or this yeah. or that, or third, but is what it is. Yeah, it, you can. Only I feel move, like the early two thousands is when Hancock County really started to change a lot. Yeah. So, what was uh, what were what were is there a farm that you remember like growing up and maybe you were still in high school where it is sold and people thought like, oh my gosh, that was crazy. They sold this for how much? And everyone thought they were dumb. <laughs> Yeah. Do you have is there a price or like a farm that sticks out to you that's just like what? And then now it's probably worth four, four or five. Yeah, nothing in particular sticks out, but basically every time you ask any farmer, they'll tell you that. Like, yeah, yeah I paid six hundred dollars an acre, and everybody thought I was an idiot back then. That was a lot of money, blah, blah, blah. And you know, it's now it's four or five an acre. Yeah. Um, I remember um, several years ago when I really first started kind of getting into it and looking at it, I remember some tillable going up for like over 20 mm -hmm. and you start to think, holy cow, that's crazy. Because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, part of, of, of Eastern Hancock and especially Northeastern Hancock, you get into some of that black dirt tillable and there may not be a tree for four mm -hmm. or five miles. And that stuff is, you know, they call that gumbo, you know, the good black <laughs> stuff. That's the really, really good tillable. 
Yeah, so, I just I just saw there was a recent sale in Northwest Iowa went for thirty thousand dollars an acre, middle of nowhere, Northwest Iowa. That's insane. Yeah, and, and I have tried to get my head around some of the farmers. I know the the big operations. I, I don't know how all the money works there, but you start to see like what yields and what rents are, and it's like I don't even know how you do that. Like I don't even know how on earth. Yeah. But you know they. I don't know if they're rolling cash over from something or they inherited another yeah. piece or what. I uh, I asked myself that same question. And then I always try to muster up the courage to ask some large farmers, like, can you walk? <laughs> and I just never have gotten the courage to be like, I'm not trying to get in your business, but just help me understand. Um, but, but the interesting thing, though, is like a lot of good dirt in the United States is owned free and clear, which obviously um, that farm probably you know, that one, I have no clue. I have no specs on this farm, but I'm going to guess it's probably the only time it's going to go for sale. Two or three neighbors really wanted it. They own yep. the farm around it, borrow against it. And, and then those numbers probably work then. And there's probably a farmer right now listening and thinking I'm really dumb. And if that's the case, call me, I want to learn. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to listen to that podcast too. <laughs> Absolutely. So you kind of got the land bug you mentioned in your 30s or early 30s. So what what was that leading up to it? Where you're like, all right, I'm going to buy a piece of ground. I got, you know, my business is kind of um, getting some footing. I have a little bit of extra money to put down on a farm. What was that like? Yeah. Well, um, you know, it took me a few years to kind of get business up up and going. And I've, I've done a lot of uh, design work for like Winchester and Browning. So um, I was able to really like put together multiple streams of income. You know, we have some licensing and we sell prints and and all that. So, you know, we, we started to do pretty well. And, and Kim and I, um, my wife is great. And it's really ironic, though. I'm the business money guy and the art guy. And she has her MBA and she's the total like relationships, you know, person. So uh -huh. we work, we balance each other out well. But um, we, we, once I had started making more money in the business, we had kept our standard of living the same so what we did is like um we had a condo on lake norman and we ended up paying that off and then we rolled that into our house and then paid that off so we we have really lived well within our means mm -hmm. so um when i was getting the land bug my buddy tyler sellens he's a whitetail properties agent mm -hmm. him and i went to um went to high school together oh, and wow. long story short he had become an agent then mm -hmm. And I had been talking to him about wanting to buy a piece. Um, and, you know, I didn't really know what I was looking for. And I hear a lot, of, I hear a lot of the people on your podcast talk about it, but I ended up just finding a 40 that was a new listing for him and just paid cash for it, paid straight mm -hmm. cash, sight unseen. Wow. We had looked at three or four farms together and I had talked to Kim about buying one. Um, so I knew what we were looking for. And then when he sent me this one, it's like, this is it, let's go. And we mm -hmm. just um, so we really just jumped into it. Um, so what made you say, this is it when you looked at that 40, what were some, uh, some of the attributes? Um, I'm a total, I'm a total visual guy and I'm a land dork and I like, you know, I don't even hardly hunt very much down here in North Carolina because I'm so into the pinch points and funnels and this and that and the other. And it's, it's, uh, it's on the Eastern part of the County between Carthage and Macomb. And um, you just look at the map and it's just, it's a 40 acres that literally sits in the guts of everything, uh -huh. you know, and it's at the end of a dead end road, you know, all, all that stuff that 
really that agents put in listings, <laughs> you know, yep. um, it, it was in a really great area, great neighborhood. And um, I, I really lucked into it eventually, which we can get into later, but um, it really just looking at the map and, and trusting Tyler. It was like, yeah, this is it, man. This is the first so, one. So that 40, was there any tillable on it? Was it, what was that mix? No, straight timber, which oh. is, which makes my dad want to just slap me. <laughs> so he's, total, he's total farmer, man. Uh -huh. um, but it, what happened was I knew there were some walnuts on the place. I had no idea how many, and I kind of lucked into that. I, mm. I was really inexperienced and didn't know. Um, but um, the Lane and Legacy guys, Adam and Matt, they mm. I got to become buddies with them through the industry, and they had come and did a, uh, a habitat management plan and walked it with me. And we started setting it up to hunt. It was a, it was a really wide open bottom, had a lot of silver maples and cottonwoods and walnuts and stuff. And you could literally see across the whole thing when mm -hmm. in, the, in the winter time. And we're like, man, we got to thicken this place up. If it's going to hold deer or hold does during the rut, it, you know, if it's going to hunt well, we got to thicken it up. Otherwise deer are literally just running through it pretty much. Mm -hmm. um, I, I remember when we first bought it, there was a, a single blowdown on one side and that was the only cover deer had to bed in. And I kicked deer out of that one fall every time. Every time there was nothing else for him. So we cut in a bunch of bedding thickets, did some TSI. There was a bunch of buckeye in there, which I'd never really seen much of before. And a couple of years later, um, Adam was like, Man, you need to have a, a forester come in and look at this. Some of these walnuts look like they're ready to go. Mm -hmm. So I had a forestry consultant come in there. And he's like, yeah, I would recommend you do um, a select cut on the walnuts. And, you know, I told him, I was like, I want the health of the timber first. I want income and I want habitat. And then I want some income third. Those are my priorities. I don't want to clear cut. I don't want to mm -hmm. rape and pillage it. Um, he ended up coming in and, and marking, I think, 64 walnuts. Wow. And then we got bids during the peak of the lumber market just a, a year or so ago. Oh, my gosh. So we did really well on walnuts and there's still another crop probably eight or 10 years down the road behind them. Yeah. So that's, that's so, amazing. Cause a lot of these, a lot of these farms have been cut really heavily in the last two years with, with the peak yeah. of where things are at. And, uh, there's now when I walk some of these farms now, like potential listings or anything else, it's like, where are the walnuts? Cause <laughs> I'm only seeing stumps and like it, and I get why they do it. I mean, it's some serious money, but yeah. I, I also wonder like, are we going to out, out cut the regeneration of walnuts? Yep. And that, that's just a thought that I have. And I don't know, I mean, one of those things I don't know, but it's a thought that I have, but anyhow, you, so you made that cut here last year then. Yep. And yep. so that had to be a pretty good chunk of coin. I assume there's some, some big black veneer walnuts in there. Yeah, it was, we, we got almost a thousand dollars a tree. Out yeah. of them. So mm -hmm. it, was, it was some big ones. And then, you know, Illinois takes the 4% tax off of that. And then the, the, the consultant takes 10% off of that, mm -hmm. but it's still, it was, it, it was half the purchase price of it. You know, I, I, I paid uh 117 uh, total, like 2,800 an acre, I think. Wow. For, for what year was that? Uh, I feel like it was four years ago. Okay. I got kids, little kids, man. It's just like everything. Blurs. Everything's a blur. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it was four years ago. Uh huh. Um, so you know, that was was pure luck. I I I wish I could say I knew that was coming and that was strategic, but it wasn't. Um, and we couldn't 
we couldn't have, have predicted the the lumber price spike either. But you know, man, um, you, you had a, a one of the other agents teams talking about how in order to get your wife on board, you've got to buy right the first one. Like you got to do that right. Yep. And I think that really helped Kim, uh, my wife, see that like this isn't just a pipe dream of Ryan's. Like this is a a, a thing. You know, we have an asset here. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean the walnut's pretty much paid for half of the property already. Yeah, um, and the and, and the thing is that land appreciated so much in those last four years too. And, and um, although you extracted some of the the value from the trees and cutting it, yeah, I mean, I yeah that that was a home run. And there's there's still probably another fifty or sixty or seventy left on the place. Yeah, you know, um, Jeff, he was I, I when I saw him in there, I was like, hey man, when can we do the next cut? You know, and he's like. <laughs> They only grow a quarter of an inch a year. So yep. to get a couple of inches, you're talking eight or 10 years, you know, it's, it's a while to get them yep. up there. So, yeah. So, and then after you did the cut though, how, I mean, I know one year of a growing season for, for the, you know, undergrowth, has it made an impact in that first year or what have you noticed so far? Oh yeah. Well, we, we had cut some of the bedding thickets. We went and cut some of the low value stuff to thicken it up. And we were already <laughs> starting to see the hunting really improve. You know, we put a we put a stand strategically downwind of a bedding area, and man, you'd get into a stand and you'd see three or four does bedded right in front. Of you. you know, it, it was starting to really work setting it up, and then taking those bigger walnuts out helped open the canopy even more. I think we'll see a, the biggest jump probably this next year. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it it's helped a ton. It, it's really hunted really well, and I've you know it, I've been really happy with it. It's kind of my baby. <laughs> the, the first 40. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. so, um, with, with that, and you, you've bought two other parcels, right? With a partner since then. Yep. yep. So walk us through with that, how that transpired and, um, and kind of walk through those purchases too, if you don't mind. Well, I had, had bought the first 40 and one of the reasons that we bought in Hancock County is because my parents' place is there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my mom is an amazing cook and amazing host. So like literally to go up there, we, we got back this year and I, I told my buddies, it was like, this was the first year I've gone up and I didn't take work with me. You know, before I would literally take my iMac and my hard drives and set it up in my parents' living room. Mm-hmm. And this was the first year I didn't do that. And like my mom, like snags your laundry out of the bedroom and folds it for you and cooks. And it was like, dude, it's like being 12 again, <laughs> you know, like oh, responsibility, I don't have to put kids to bed, um, but that, uh, you know, we've got access to farm equipment, a side-by-side, you know, we have a lot of that there. And so that's one of the reasons that we we have looked at Hancock County is because we can just go home and stay at my parents' place. Mm-hmm. And so oh, my buddy Shay, he, we had talked about like, yeah, it'd be cool to buy some land, you know? Um, and I don't even know how it came about, but we just got the idea of, yeah, let's do it. You know, let's go, let's go to a lawyer and we'll draft a, an agreement, an LLC. And we started an LLC and bought, we bought two farms through that now. Um, and really what we did was we, um, we bought it through Tyler. I can't remember how all this happened because my second, my daughter, my second child, my daughter was born right around then. So I'm real hazy. And we formed the LLC and then we started going, no, we actually bought the property first before mm-hmm. we formed the LLC mm-hmm. because Brooklyn, my daughter, she was born early 
And we were at the NICU in Winston-Salem and she was perfectly healthy. Everything was good, Mm -hmm. but they just kept her there as a precaution. And Tyler had texted me about this first farm (laughs) and Brooklyn was supposed to come in December and I had my whole rut planned, you know, and she came on October 28th. And so my my rut's toast, you know, Mm -hmm. is done. And Kim will tell you that it's like when you have a dog that passes and you go buy a puppy, She's like, you lost your rut hunt, so you went and bought a farm instead. Of <laughs> but um, Shay and I worked with Tyler, and we bought it. I was answering emails in the NICU waiting mm-hmm. room. Um, mm-hmm. So we bought the farm. We had already decided to do this, but went and drafted the LLC documents. And then what we did, just to make it easy, is we opened up a business bank account. And then every time that account needs money, we just put the same amount of money deposited into it. Mm-hmm. And then all the bills and everything gets paid out of that. Um, so it, it it's really been massively simple. Um, but I think what Shay and I have done right is like, we both really, we like to hunt. We, we love it. And it's fun. Like when we go up and hunt, it's a vacation. And when we go work on the property, it's like a vacation. Mm-hmm. And both of us are committed to our other businesses and have our other affairs in order. So this is just, it, I don't want to say fun money because we're not rich, but it, it's kind of like that. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. we don't have to make this thing work or we miss a mortgage payment or something. Yeah. You know, it's not like that. Uh, yeah. And that lowers the stress for everyone too. I yeah. mean, in those types of partnerships. And so, and then you guys scooped up a, a 62. Was that also through Tyler or was that? Yeah. Uh, okay. So, we, so we he's just feeding, he's feeding you deals. Feeding. <laughs> and this one, this one was one of those dream scenarios where you buy it from, a real estate agent that doesn't know land and just mm-hmm. happens to have a land listing. Mm-hmm. So we bought that one really well too. I think we paid like three an acre for that. Mm-hmm. Um, that was just a couple of years ago. And it's, it's probably worth five an acre. It's, it's got a few acres of tillable. Um, uh, it, it's just, it's a really nice farm. It's got a pond on it. It's kind of got a trail system that goes through it. It's got a bunch of CRP on it. Um, it it's a really nice farm. Mm-hmm. Well, I so, think that's that's really important though, because a lot of these folks that have similar positive stories is they they get in an agency here and they're you're not a tire kicker like, hey, we're serious. Yeah. If you find something, let me know. And I think uh, you know doing multiple deals uh, with with that agent too. He's like, all right, these guys are serious. I know if I send it yeah. to them, they're gonna give it a round of due diligence, and if it checks off enough boxes, they're probably gonna put an offer in. Yeah, and and you know these guys know too. Like w- <clears throat> one thing that. When I first started looking for a farm, I I would I was unsure. I was kind of iffy. You know, you think back now, it's like, dude, I wish I would have bought everything I looked at. You know? Yeah. But uh, when 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 I am ready to go on something, it's done. Like closing thirty, we're 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 going. Like there's mm-hmm. no jacking around. There's no hemming and hawing. Um. And and Shay and I, as a partnership, we've done the same thing, and we bought three farms sight unseen. Wow. And it's like, let's just let's do it. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we did is we financed, um, the first one and then financed the second one and then sold the first one and just took that profit and put that towards the principal on the second one. Okay. Um, so we, 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 uh, we have a really low interest rate and we've, we paid yeah. it down massively. Mm-hmm. So, um, we've done it right. We've, we've. I don't know if we've gotten lucky or just made a couple of smart decisions on this one, but it's, it's been, a, it's really been a great experience. Mm-hmm. How important do you think being financially disciplined before you got into land was important with the success that you've had up to this point too? 
Oh, oh, it's all of it, man. It's all of it. And, you know, I went through a phase when I was younger. I, I feel like I had like a quarter life crisis where I just I didn't know who I was and what I wanted. And I, I feel like I feel like you really got to know who you are, what you want, you know, where you want to hunt. Like Hancock County was pretty much it for us. We knew what we wanted. We knew what we could afford. Um, like I said, Kim and I have been real diligent, real smart. And that way, I, I, you know, Kim, my wife knows that like, I'm going to handle our family first. Like mm -hmm. I'm not going to do anything stupid that jeopardizes anything that we've, we've got coming on. And, you know, if, 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 a you know, God forbid a kid gets sick or something, just sell it, you know, yeah. and that's kind of how I've approached it. Um, but man, really having your ducks in a row really helps. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, 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 it's like Dave Ramsey says, man, it, it, about houses. He's like, it'll turn a blessing into a curse. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, you know, if you really stretch yourself thin on a recreational piece of ground and put your family at risk, man, that can spiral downhill quick. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that we have not done is we haven't done that. And it, it allows you to have some breathing room and think clearly. There's no pressure. You know, if we walk away from something, no big deal, you know, yeah. we'll find another one. Mm -hmm. So, it's no, I, I I think that's really important. What about buying these farms sight unseen? I mean, that's it. it what is that like? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, and I say sight unseen, but you know, you grew up in the area, you drove by the farm before, you know, the neighborhood, you know, the neighbors. I mean, so yeah. it's a little bit different. It's a, it's a little, it's a, yeah, it's different, man. I mean, I know the area. Um, chances are I'm somewhat related to somebody that's close. Um, I can always say, Hey dad, we're looking at a farm where you go, where you could buzz around in a side by side and see what you think. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, you know, to Tyler's credit, he knows that like, we're, we're in this to buy more and, you know, if you screw us, we'll go find somebody else. Yeah. That's know? a lose, so, lose for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. So, um, you know, a lot of times, um, there's been drone videos, there's been professional photos, um, like we may buy it the first day it's listed, mm -hmm. uh, but it tells us it's coming stuff like that. So it's rarely ever sight unseen. And, and again, man, I'm kind of a terrain map dork, so I can look at it and see, yeah, this access sucks or dude, we have a West Southwest Northwest wind. Most of the rut, like this mm -hmm. farm only hunts good on East, like mm -hmm. probably not a good, good idea. So you know, we, there, there's technology these days. It's not like uh, I'm just mailing him a check. And <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the biggest thing, too, because I think I, did, I wanted to clarify that because if someone let's say you were trying to buy in the southern tip of Illinois and you don't know anything about it, you don't know anyone down there. Totally different ballgame than when yeah. it's been kind of like your backyard growing up. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think that's really important. What about so you mentioned access? Is that what, what is your due diligence checklist of like? All right, these these are non negotiable. This farm has to have this, this, and this. Well, I am I am not big on on tillable right now. Um, I, I just I I know that there's a lot of people that have done it well. I think maybe we would one day, but it's hard for me as a non resident buyer that is literally just interested in hunting to justify like 12 grand an acre for something that's going to pay out 250 an acre in cash rent or something yeah. like that. God, that doesn't make any sense. So I have, I've really liked having um, straight timber or uh, a, a timber mix with some cover 
but we are up there during the rut and, and with little kids and work, it's not like I'm going to go hunt on October 5th. If we have a cold front, it's like, man, I'm probably going to be there two weeks. So you have to think about, you know, bucks are going to be starting to harass does. They're going to want to find cover. Um, I like to have cover. I just like to sit. I like to sit stands where if I hear footsteps, I better get my bow ready and yeah. I may see one deer all day and it might be him. You know, yeah. that's the kind of stuff I like to hunt. So um, I really look for cover and the neighborhood and where it lays. And I feel like we can work with anything else. Um, but obviously access is great. You can access it from two directions. You know, prevailing winds are usually something out of the West or Southeast that time of year. So that helps. Um, but I feel like, you know, like that 40, I called it the blank canvas for a while. And it was, it's just a 40 acres of mature timber. And we can set this thing up however we want. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, after the, after the, the loggers went through, I had, I hired a guy to come out and make two crossings in it. And so it had like eight foot cut banks, the creek that went through that thing. And so, you know, I want deer to cross here. So yeah. I had to go in and make some low water crossings in there. I, I tend to geek out on stuff like that. Like I want to try to make a deer do this yeah, and, and set my stand here. So I think you bring up a really good point too, of, of buying, buying the right farm for when you're going to be spending time on it. If you had yeah. a late season muzzleloader tag, that might not be the farm. You probably want a farm that's small and is, has some cover and about 10 acres of staining beans and a, a good muzzleloader. So like, Exactly. Or if, if you're going to hunt early, you know, early season, then you're probably going to want to have different food sources. So I think that's really important when people are looking, ask yourself, when am I, when am I going to be predominantly hunting this farm? And is it good for that time frame? Yep, exactly. That's good. So you had a, there's a film on your YouTube as well. And it talks, uh, hard work in a blank canvas, which yep. it's pretty fun because obviously, you know, you're an artist. So there's multiple plays on that title. So kudos for yep. that. That's cool. What, yep. uh, how much of these farms that you're putting together, how much of it is art and science in your brain? Cause I, I assume a lot of your artwork too, cause obviously there's like biology, like you're doing, you're doing wildlife art. You're not doing abstract art. So like there's once again, science and art. So what is, uh, what is it like when you're looking at these farms and with, the, with the science mind and then with the art mind? Well, I mean, with prices today, it's a lot of dreaming <laughs> when I look at a farm, <laughs> it's True. a lot of drooling, like, God, I wish I could do that. But man, I, I think, you know, um, I make a lot of sports analogies. Like I'm not really much of an artist type, you know, and I make a lot of sports analogies and I'll do like talks at, at App State and stuff like that. And people ask me like, what's the hardest part about painting? Well, mastering the fundamentals is one of the hardest ones. Like learning how to mix paint will make you want to jump out a window, you know, mm -hmm. like how do I mix this color? Well, if I take this kind of blue and this kind of green, it makes this and, you know, um, but like, you know, Michael Jordan is my favorite basketball player. You know, it's my son's favorite basketball player, but he had to learn how to left-handed dribble and do left-handed layups and all that before he could do any of the things that we call, you know, MJ's art form. And I feel like it, it's a lot of that, a lot of the fundamentals, you know, it's a lot of, um, I listen to a lot of the MSU deer lab guys, yeah, um, a lot of the NDA guys on how deer behave you know, the biology of how things happen and why they happen. And then after that, it's an art. It's like, okay, well, man, I know that those does are going to be in a thicket. They don't, they're tired of being harassed in the rut. They want to go to a thicket or 
that buck's going to run her into a thicket and try to defend her and fend off everything else. Well, I in a in a morning I want my stand preferably downwind of that thicket with some you know some some travel corridors maybe coming through and and at that point it becomes an art because I can get on that map and kind of draw how this is going to work how am I going to access it how am I going to get out clean um, you know all that kind of stuff so I, I feel like you've got to, it's just like anything in life you've got to learn the fundamentals of how something works how a craft works. And that's when your art can take over and that's when your instincts can take over, but mm-hmm. can't be vice versa. That's fair. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I would agree with that for sure. So what would you say to someone that's listening right now and they're, they're diligently saving and they, they want to buy a farm, but maybe they're just, you know, there's like you mentioned, there's a, a level of uncertainty before you buy a farm. What is a piece of advice that you would tell someone before they buy their first farm? Well, I really do think you've got to have your affairs in order and you've got to know what you want. You got to know um, um, how far you're willing to drive, what you're looking for, what you can afford. And then the biggest thing is just doing it, man. Like it, it, people ask me all the time about like, how, how do you, how do you, what the, you know, the, the joke about my career is usually ends with, would you like fries with that? You know, I mean, I'm a graphic arts major, you know, and a lot of people ask me like, can you actually make a living doing that? And it's like, well, yeah. Like, well, how do you do that? And a lot of it is you just have to go for it, man. Like you just have to be not afraid to fail. And you have to know that even if you screw something up, life goes on and like, you can get it the next time you can fix this, you can solve it. And I feel like, a lot of people just get so paralyzed with buying the right, the, the perfect farm. And I think one of your other guests said at one time, like, you're going to sell it. Like, you know, the average ownership five, five six, life, seven years, five, six, seven years, yeah. you know, and dude, you know, for most people, life is long. You're looking at like 60, 70, 80 years. <laughs> like you had a lot of time to fix that if you make a mistake, but man, there's just nothing better than owning a farm, you yeah. know? Um, I agree. I mean, it, there is something uh, hard to explain, like buying a piece of dirt and when you stand on it, it yeah. feels a lot different than a piece that you have permission on. Well, I tell people it's like having your own kids versus playing with somebody else's, you know, like they're more work, they're more money, they're more time, but there's nothing that you can say that like it, that can can summarize having your own kid versus like playing with a niece or nephew and then sending them home at the end of the day. Like yeah. it's more work, it's more everything, but it's it's way more rewarding. How tempted are you to leverage that 40 that you paid cash for or sell that, take the cash and go buy something bigger? I don't know, man. I mean, we we're we're just kind of sitting back. Um like it's so funny, man. Like I'll be sitting there listening like painting something and literally there's an auction going on on there and i, I just want to i've turned into that guy like that farmer that just shows up and wants to listen you know to see what stuff goes for and i'm always in my head i'm thinking man if this goes for you know about 3800 an acre i think i'd buy it and the auction starts at 3800 an acre and just goes up from there you know yeah um i I don't really know. I, I feel like I'm really happy with that piece. If something came up that's closer to my parents or bordered, I would sell it in a heartbeat. Like I'm mm-hmm. not that tied to it, but you know, it's in a really good area and I've put a lot into it. So 
I would, I would, if something came up right now, I would sell it outright. And what I would try to do is try to, to time it to where I can 1031 it into the new piece. Yep. Uh, sell it quick and then know, you know, like if an auction came up and I knew I wanted to buy that piece no matter what, I'd sell my first one, you know, and try to 1031 it into the new one. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just not big on leverage, man. I just, I don't know enough about it and I'm not very good at it. I don't feel like. Um, I mean, your track record's pretty solid so far, but it, it, okay. maximize, it maximizes mistakes and uh, maximizes good fortune too. I mean, it's a double-edged yeah. sword. I, I've i always um, envisioned our financial life kind of like a good running game in football to make another <laughs> Three I, yards, three I, yards. I, I, exactly, <laughs> like three to four yards in a cloud of dust. Like if you have a bunch of grizzly bears on the offensive line and you just have two thoroughbred running backs that you know you can get those yards – you're never going to lose. You're never going to go backwards. And then once you get that ground game established, you can take a few shots at the end zone, you sure. know, knowing that you can always go back to that. But if you come out of the gate with a flea flicker, man, <laughs> it might not go very well for you. And I, I just, um, I don't know. I, I'd, I'd probably sell it outright though. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think that's, I mean, there's there's no wrong way to do it. I mean, it, it all comes down to your risk tolerance. I heard someone say this once. It's like debt is a lot like water. Like you, you need it to survive in some form or fashion, but too much water, you can drown. So I mean, it's just <laughs> it, it's kind of that that thought process. Um, yeah. So really, so it sounds like the next twelve months or so, because I think I, myself included. I mean, land is still selling. It's not as uh, frantic as what it was the last two years. Um, prices definitely seem to be stable. And things are still, you know, same thing. I watch every auction I can, and some of them are landing in that zone where I anticipate, and some of them are a little higher, some of them are a little lower. So I just feel like things are maybe becoming more predictable and less uh, volatile in a positive way because it's been volatile in a positive way. Mm -hmm. So next 12 months, you're just kind of sit, sitting back watching. Sitting back and, and we we have, you know, I've invested a lot in the business this year. We we launched a brand new website, which was great website, uh, by the way. Thank you, man. Um, you know, it, we have we have started to get from the point of like where it's just me working in a spare bedroom to like we're hiring an agency to do our website and some of our, you know, social media work and, and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I, I've invested a lot in the business and we'll see how that plays out. I've got a big art show in February that I've really got to go heads down on. And I, mm -hmm. I can't, I can't be distracted looking at laying and auctions and stuff. Uh -huh. So I'm for the next few months, I'm really going to be focused on, you know, getting our business, you know, going good. And, and um, we, we might be hiring another person or two. So just seeing how that all plays out um, mm -hmm. before I, I buy another piece, but you know, if, if something comes up, I definitely jump on it. Sure. No, I think that's fair. Any any other pieces of advice for someone that is probably in their late twenties, early thirties, maybe their forties, maybe their fifties? And any other piece yeah. of advice that you've learned, you know, buying three different parcels and you know, just things that you've learned along the way that you want to share that maybe and maybe if maybe you already shared it, but if you if you have any other key nuggets. Yeah, I think I, I think it, man, it's like anything. It really takes experience to do it. You've got to make some mistakes and you, you can't be afraid of that. Um, I know, for for example, one thing, like we go back to the blank canvas, it really would help, I feel like, if you have a plan for your property going forward. Like when you before you buy it, you know what you're going to do and what you're going to put where. Um, 
you know, I, I'm the type that just wants to dig in and do stuff. You know, let's just go to work. Let's just fire up the chainsaw and let's go, you know, yeah. figure and, it out and, as you go. Yeah. And that sometimes isn't all that great when you're, when you're, sometimes you need to back out and do a little bit, a little bit larger, you know, zoom out, but man, really just having your, your, yourself in order, your family in order, your finances in order. That's, that's been probably the best thing that I've, I've seen since then. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's really great advice. If someone wants to find what you're doing, where should they go and check it? Check out all the all your artwork. Uh, you have a lot of really cool social posts that are really informative and and engaging and cool. So, where should people go find you and your artwork? Um, RyanKirby.com is our our new website, and then um, at Ryan Kirby Art is my um, Instagram and Facebook. But uh, probably check out Instagram. I'm a little bit more active on Instagram. I like it. <laughs> well, you, a lot of a lot of really cool stuff. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's that's the next wave. I I have opinions on TikTok, but it's. Uh, Are you on TikTok? Uh, Exodus is yes, yep. Yeah, and yeah. I don't get on there. <laughs> but, <laughs> but we we uh, we hired uh, an intern, and he's done a fantastic job growing uh, growing the account uh, with with some guidance. So. Not, yeah. I think uh, yeah. those things are wormholes, man. I try to stay. Out there. <laughs> <laughs> they are, but awesome. Well, I really appreciate your time, Ryan. I think there's some really good insight in this, and um, I look forward to connecting again. Look forward to staying in touch on what transpires, and maybe uh, hearing some updates on how the blank canvas farm improves after doing the cut. I think it'll be really cool to hear in a year or two. Yeah, man. Thank you very much. I appreciate it.